Now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Well, Tom, it was um, 30 years ago, 30 years ago that you ordained me. And since then, I've been to 102 countries. There's never been a place that I haven't gone, that I haven't taught, that I haven't preached, that I haven't been influenced by your ministry. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. Good. Well, the first two services, they clapped at that. <laughs> you guys are just so mushy, you're just taking it in, I know. I'm just back from Venezuela, and uh, what do we do in sports ministry? It's called Sports Outreach International. If you've heard of Fellowship of Christian Athletes or Athletes in Action, you've heard of what we've done in America, and we try to do this around the world. I'm just back from Venezuela, very tough country, dictator, and uh, 10 years ago, we could only identify two, two leaders doing sports ministry in the entire country. Now we've got an army of people doing sports ministry. Probably the most exciting thing. Hey. I'll let these guys know that you guys are excited because sometimes you feel when you're in these countries that you're all alone. And to know that you guys are praying for them, oh, it means so much. One of the coolest things I saw when I was there was I met Theophilus. Theophilus is 84 years old, and he became a Christian five years ago. Five years ago. He's a baseball coach. And for the last five years, he's been doing sports ministry. Is that cool? What a great leader. You saw him there. Amazing. Now, our biography today, our biography today is Barnabas. Barnabas, son of encouragement, that's what it means. Now, Jonathan Edwards, the great old preacher, said this, that there's two ways, two ways that we learn, two ways that we grow closer to God. One is through precept, one is through model. One is through precept, the word, the doctrine, thus saith the Lord. The scripture's coming in. And then the second one is the model. Seeing it, that incarnation of Christ, working through different people, working through. That's why we study guys like Barnabas and why we've had a whole summer of studying biographies of special people. Let me give you two examples and then let's dive into the scripture. First one, Yazi. Yazi's from Niger. Niger is probably the second, third poorest country in the world. And, and I went to visit Yazi. He's amazing. 
I think it's 95, 96% Muslim in there. And he's an amazing Christian guy doing sports ministry in a very tough area. Uh, I, I, Yazi can't raise money there, so we're trying to figure out a way. So our movement bought him a farm. And, and I couldn't wait to see this farm. When I got there, I couldn't wait to see this farm here. So I, I, I heard there was cobras on the farm. And so I thought this is going to be really cool. And, and so we, we go off. <clears throat> and, and I said, let's go see it. And he said, ah, Stevie. He's the only guy that calls me Stevie. Stevie, I don't think we should go. Uh, Al-Qaeda, you know, Al-Qaeda's in charge up there. Uh, it's kind of dangerous. I said, well, well, let's try. He said, I don't know. And someone else said, yeah, just try. And then they'll either let you through or they won't let you through. There's a gate. So sure enough, we get in this little car, we're driving, and we drive out of the city, and then there's this white little clay strip of a road, and we're driving through dust everywhere, and we come up to this gate, just like you'd see on TV. It's got a gatehouse, a little concrete block that's holding up the gate, goes up and down like this, it's down. There's an old guy there with an AK-47 who's got a beret on. But you can tell, tell Yazi is a Barnabas. That guy has encouraged more people. Every time I, I was with him, everybody was going, Yazi, Yazi. Sure enough, this guard sees this car. He knows whose it is. He's kind of bored. No one's traveled this way today. Ah, Yazi, everybody, Yazi, Yazi, good to see you. He gets up off of his stool, walks over the side, comes in the glare. You couldn't see what's in. And he looks inside, and he sees me. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. He sticks his head in. I'm getting a little nervous. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what to say. He sticks his head in and goes, where are you from? And I'm like, Indiana, Indiana. He looks at me, I do not believe you. You are far too big and far too white to be an Indian. <laughs> no, 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 sir. No, no, no. Indiana, it's a state. It's a state. In, in, in America, he said, never heard of it. <laughs> that guy's from, the guy's laughing hard. He's from Wisconsin. You could tell. <laughs> now I'm scrambling. I'm, I'm like, I, 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 I was trying to scramble. I, I finally go, I, I was raised in Chicago. I was raised in Chicago. And his face just crestfallen. You could just see, oh. He said, Chicago, El Capone. <laughs> bang, bang. That is a bad place. <laughs> you may go. <laughs> First time being from Chicago has ever benefited me from that. And I get back home and a year later, I, 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 I read and I see in all the newspapers that 45 churches in Naomi, in the capital where Yazi lives, have been burned down. 45 churches by Muslims. And to be fair, some of the Muslim clerics were saying, don't, do not do that. That is not who we are. But 45 churches are, born, are burned down. And I'm scared. I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of Yazi. Is he okay? Is he okay? I'm trying to email and Skype. I'm trying to get, can't, two days, two days ago. And finally, he, he sends me back an email. Finally, we Skype nonchalant. He says, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, well, what do you mean you're fine? He goes, yeah, that was terrible. It was horrible. I said, what about you and the churches that you work with, that you pastor? He said, no, we would be fine. I said, well, why were you fine and they weren't? They said, no, we'd be fine because our sports teams invite those Muslim boys to be part of the team and we've got a relationship with them. 
they would never burn down our churches. We have a relationship. Yazi is an encourager. Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert. Uh, they were iconoclasts when it came to being monarchy, very different than what you'd have before. And this monarchy was very different, avant-garde, and, and they decided to do more than anybody else for their subjects, for their people. And they decided that, okay, what can we do? One time, driving the carriage, that beautiful carriage, through the slums of London, they said, we have to help with health care. We have to help. And so hospitals and doctors' offices and that, they pushed and they raised money and they pushed. This wasn't done by monarchy. We said, forget it, there are people. We want to help. One day, the Queen Elizabeth or Queen Victoria, she's, she's cutting, that, cutting that ribbon, cutting that ribbon. And her chaplain looks at her and said, Queen, for what you have done today, you will have another jewel in your crown. The queen looked at, her, uh, looked at the chaplain and said, I want as many jewels as my, in my crown as I can get. Now, now, she was very fond of her crown. I want as many jewels in my crown as I can get. The chaplain's taken aback. He said, no, sorry, mom. I, I meant metaphorically, metaphorically. Remember in, in Revelation where it says you'll get jewels for what you've done to serve the Lord in your crown. The queen looked over at her chaplain and said, chaplain, I knew exactly what you meant. And I want as many jewels in my crown as possible. For when I go to heaven, I'm going to take off that crown and cast it at my Father's feet. Encouragers. Encouragers for the Lord. Now let me dive, draw you back to the scripture that we saw read. Barnabas, Acts chapter, or <laughs> Acts chapter 11 uh, Barnabas is our focus today, and Barnabas means encouragement. Verse 19 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Now listen to that. Stephen was killed in Jerusalem. Who was there to encourage that? Who was there? He was martyred, the first martyr. When he was killed, people were scattered. But who was that that encouraged that? It was Saul. Saul plays a big story in the apostle or in Barnabas's life. It was Saul who became the apostle Paul. I believe in there's going to be a place in heaven where there's some guy from Antioch that's hanging on to Stephen here and he's hanging on to Saul here and saying, Saul, if you didn't kill this guy and the scattered the Christians, I never would have heard about Jesus. Isn't it amazing those, those pains in our lives and we say, how can God, how can he do anything? He's such a big God. And he weaves his way through his mysterious will and makes wonderful things happen. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a num great number of people in Antioch believed and they turned to the Lord. Verse 22, news of this reached to the church. It reached to Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. You see, they had heard that, that non-Jews, non-Jews, Gentiles, were becoming Christians up in Antioch. They were in Jerusalem, different culture, different food, different people here. And in Antioch, ah, oh, that'd be like a Chicago Bears play, fan hearing that a Green Bay Packer, that revival was breaking out in Green Bay. 
Oh, no. Well, praise God, you know, oh, no. I was going to use West Lafayette, but I knew I'd lose you. <laughs> no, no, it's breaking. Oh, okay. Uh, do you want to go up there and help? I mean, those people don't even have the Ten Commandments. They know nothing. Who wants to do it, Peter? No, I was just in Caesarea. Someone else. I know. I know. He could, this guy will encourage every, anybody. Let's send Barnabas. Let's send Barnabas. And off Barnabas went, yeah, praise God. Anything, anything to serve people. I, I, you can tell that the writer of Acts, whose name was Luke, who also wrote Luke of the New Testament of the Gospels, he said of, him, of Barnabas, he said, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of what? Faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then, then, Barnabas went out and he went to Tarsus. He went to this place to find this crazy former Christian killer that had this radical, radical conversion. He went out to find him and he brought him back. Barnabas was doing a great job all by himself, but he was going to bring more leaders in with them. And then it says, for a full year, Barnabas and Saul, now get this, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught them, and a great number of people became Christians. And then they say this last line here, this is the first place, Antioch. This is the first place where they called themselves Christians. And probably other people were calling them Christians as it was derogatory, but they took it. We are Christians. We are not ashamed. Let me give you a list of traits that I think Barnabas had. And I'll go quickly through this list. And then we want to focus on the last one, encouragement. These traits that Barnabas had. First, he was free. He was free. He was free from materialism. He was free from geography. If you said, Barnabas, I want you to go here. No, no, no. I only minister in Jerusalem. I got guys to be, Steve, I want to do ministry with you. Oh, great. Boy, we really need you in Wisconsin. Oh, no, no. I'll only do it in, in my city. That's it. Oh, maybe God's calling you. I got other friends. You know, as soon as I pay off that house, then I'll do ministry. Barnabas was free of materialism, free of geography. Secondly, he was effective. Wasn't just a nice guy. Wasn't just a nice guy that, you know, complimented people. He was a great minister in his own right. Third, he could take risks. Huh. When you become an advocate for the apostle Paul, you're taking risks. <laughs> this guy was a crazy man. Wherever he went, he stirred things up. He needed to mature, and Barnabas was the guy to help him to mature. He was a risk taker. Who's the people in your life that you need to be that advocate for? Remember uh, uh, when, when Paul was converted, he's on the road to Damascus. And when he's converted, he wants to meet with the apostles. But, but they thought this was a trick. No, 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 no. I, I don't want to meet. And the apostles didn't want to meet with him. But who brought him? Barnabas. Who's that apostle Paul in your life that you need to be the advocate for? That you're going to step up and say, I want this person. You can see you've got a vision for somebody. They are going to be a great leader. Next, he was humble. He wasn't addicted to the limelight. 
It's interesting, you see a shift. It was Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, all through the book of Acts. And then finally you see, you see Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. He wasn't addicted to the limelight. Anybody, as long as they're preaching the gospel, praise God, let them do it. He was a big picture guy. And this one I got from John Piper, but he was a leader maker. He was a leader maker. Interesting, Paul and this other character that we'll get to in just a second, Mark. Mark wrote a third of the New Testament. A third of the New Testament. And they were both inspired, both discipled, both encouraged by Barnabas. We may not have a third of that unbelievably gorgeous Bible if it wasn't for this guy that got behind the scenes. Now, uh, John Mark, where did he come from? You might remember that uh, Barnabas and Paul went off on the first missionary journey. And they went up through the Mediterranean, through the rim up there, and they went to city after city, and they started converting, and they started creating and strengthening churches. And while they were doing that, what are they going to do? They're going to be like Jesus. We've got to have disciples. We've got to have young people with us. We've got to have strong people. And so they said, let's bring John Mark. He's brilliant. I think he'll be a good writer. He's <laughs> had a bestseller. I think he'll be a good writer. Let's bring him. But something happened halfway through that missionary journey. John Mark left. He left. He quits like in the second quarter. He just said, I'm out of here. Got in his car and left. He's up in Pamphylia and something happened and he's gone. Later on, they're going to the second missionary journey. Chapter 15 of Acts. Paul goes, let's go. Let's go encourage those people. Let's go encourage them. And Barnabas says, yeah, let's do it. Let's go, Paul. And let's bring John Mark. No. Paul said, No. Absolutely not. He blew it. He quit. I'm not taking that guy. Come on, let's give him a second chance. This is a good guy. Barnabas was the man of second chances. And oh boy, I thank God for the people that have given me second chances in ministry and in life. Oh, we need those second chances. No, you can't. And then in chapter 15, one of my favorite Bible heroes, Barnabas, disappears. As Paul goes off on the second missionary journey and he takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark and we never hear of Barnabas again. <laughs> Tom, you preached this 30 years ago. I, I'd been in seminary, but I'd never heard this before. And I remember it. I remember where I was sitting, the old church there. There's this great little mark in 2 Timothy. It's almost a throwaway line, but, but, but you, we understand it. It's so deep. It, Paul is finishing up his race. He, he has been ministered, and for the last 15 years, he has worked and worked and worked. And then he's worn out. He's a second prison term. He's in Rome, and he writes to Timothy, his disciple, and he says, bring me a cloak. It's getting cold. Bring me some parchment so I can write some more letters to send them out, which became the New Testament. And then he said, bring me, I remember where I was, Tom, when you said it, bring me John Mark, for he was effective in ministry. That reconciliation, that reconciliation of two guys, here's John Mark coming back to help him. What does it mean to be an encourager? 
What does encouragement mean? I, I was a chaplain for years at IU with the football, and I've done it with, uh, in, in um, England as well, in the Premier League with the soccer teams. What does it mean to be an encourager? I, I, I love that word. What's the root of the encouragement? What's the root of encouragement? It's courage. To encourage means that you give courage to somebody else. Here it is. This is for you. Encouraging somebody else. It's not necessarily just a compliment. Hey, you got a nice shirt. Oh, thanks. I mean, I don't think that's what it is. It's, it's, it's something deeper. You're giving away strength. You're making somebody stronger in the Lord. <laughs> Encouragement can be tough. Uh, my coach, Coach Mallory, boy, he was a tough guy. He was a tough guy. And I remember after my, I started my freshman year and uh, into my sophomore year, and he just passed on in May. I, I didn't think the guy would ever die. He was the strongest. What a wonderful man. I loved him a lot, and I, I was very scared of him. I mean, I mean, I've seen so many people that have met him said, oh, what a nice kind of grandpa guy. You never played for him. <laughs> I still got the scars in my ears where he chewed me out. One time I broke up with a girlfriend, you know, seven, 18 years old, I broke up and I just quit. I quit. And I left for three days and I hitchhiked to Iowa and then I wised up and I came back to college and I was so scared to see Coach Mallory and I made up this lie that my car broke down but I saw an eagle and I was just, all this really silly stuff. <laughs> oh, I remember I came back and he chews me out and he razzes me and then I'm acting tough, acting tough. I go back to my dorm and Russ Graham, Russ is the head of my board to this day. We played against each other in middle school. We played together in high school. We played together in college. And Russ, I said, Russ, I said, yeah, but I would have gotten more trouble, but I told a little story. And he said, you lied. You're a Christian and you lied. Now you got to go back and tell Coach Mel you lied. I'm like, I do, <laughs> you know, I have to. I'm like, I, I don't want to. You gotta go right now. <laughs> I remember going back and I'm acting like a tough guy. And I get in to see him and you can just see the intensity in his eyes. And all of a sudden the tears start coming. <laughs> and I feel a bit, I lied. You know, all of a sudden blurry, everything. I can't see anything. And snot's coming out of your mouth. And I kind of I look up at him. He's like looking at me like, you don't think I didn't know that was a lie? You are the worst liar. <laughs> Uh, I saw Coach Mallory, this is about a year ago, and I said, remember that time? Remember that time when I had to come to you in your office and tell you I lied? And he looks at me and goes, I don't remember that stuff. I just remember you were a good player. He had a wry grin on his face. Isn't that like God? Oh, isn't it great that we can ask for forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ? And we go to God. And we say, God, forgive me for that. And it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> then maybe we feel guilty. We feel guilty in our flesh. And we come up a week later and say, God, I know. That was a really bad sin. I want to say apology again. Lord, forgive me. And what does he say? Forgive you of what? It's gone as far as the east is from the west. Don't you believe that the blood of my son is strong enough to wash away? Wash away that sin. 
When you encourage others, it usually encourages you. When you encourage others, it usually encourages you. If not, ask Pontius, Brad, you know, our missions guy. Nobody's taken more people around the world than, than, than Brad has. And it comes back every time, every time. They all go off to help the poor. Incidentally, if you have not been on a mission trip, you got to go. But they go away thinking they're going to help the poor. And they come back and they go, I was so blessed. You encourage other people and it helps encourages you. I was so blessed. My, I had a teammate. I think he was the greatest football player that ever lived. Arguably the top three of his life. But his name was Walter Payton. That was him number 34 right there. <laughs> yeah, I had to block out a little of that uh, at the bottom. A little bit too much crackage was going on. It, it looked fine on my phone, but it was a little smaller. But that guy's Matt Suey, one of our teammates there. In the first year, Matt, Walter would not even speak to Matt. 34 wouldn't speak to 26. He had his fullback. He didn't need a guy. Didn't even talk to him. Different cultures. Different cultures. One guy, Walter's from Mississippi. This guy's from Pennsylvania. Penn State guy. Didn't even talk to him for a year. But we had a Barnabas on our team. Brian Cabral. He became one of the best linebacker coaches in NCAA. But, but Brian, as a, as, a, as a linebacker, but as a Christian leader, second team guy, but as a leader, he said, Walter, you've got to encourage him. You're our leader on this team. You've got to get things right with Matt. Sometimes when you encourage people, it encourages you. Well, Walter at 45 died of a rare liver disease. Guess who spoke at his funeral? It was Matt. Guess who became the surrogate father of his kids, of Walter's kids? It was Matt. Walter didn't even want to talk to this guy, but he was encouraged to go out and encourage him. And he came back and it blessed who he was. Encouragement varies person to person. Varies person to person. Remember that love language? 30 years ago, I read this book and it said, there's different types of love. Gifts, touch, time, acts of service, words. I'm a big hugger, but not everybody likes to be hugged. You know, you hug some people and it's like you just punch them in the gut. I mean, they don't like it. Ah. And so, so then I, I thought I'd hug them more, but that just makes them more miserable, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know you're learning my tricks. <laughs> uh, you got to find the right gift, the right way to encourage other people. Now, if you know my wife, Michelle, you know she's a little nutty. I mean, you would never know. She's such a sweet person, but she can be a little crazy at times. I mean, she married me, so case in point. But uh, she, it's interesting. She wanted to love her father. You know, you send him a note. You say, I love you. How do you bless us? How, what, what does he want more? Than, how can you encourage this guy? Well, he was a school teacher all his life and only had those summers off, but made, he made the use of every day of the summer. And, he lived up in Alaska, and he would take his kids off in a 1970 Volkswagen bus. And every summer, they would go off and have this time. And for years, I've heard those songs that they would sing in that bus. <laughs> Dad's got a little mass on his lung right now. We're a little worried about him. What do you do for him? Send him a card? Send him some money? I mean, he's not a gifts guy. He likes it, you know, but he's not a gifts guy. Time. So the idea came up among the kids, this is what let's do. Let's take that old bus, it's still in the family. It's out in Los Angeles. 
And let's all pile in and let's drive from Los Angeles to Bloomington. <laughs> all five of them there. Oh, you should have seen Grandpa. Oh, he is so excited. He can't wait to go. There is nothing that can encourage unique ways. I don't think I'm going to see my wife until December. <laughs> you know, it's going to take a while to get through that thing, but uh, that's going to be the way it is. And lastly, in closing, you're never too old and you're never too young to encourage. I tell guys my, guys, uh, my age now, us empty nesters, wasn't it great when the kids were little and you could say, hey, wear this, get up here, go to sleep here? I can't do that anymore. But I remind guys my age, you have this power. It's encouragement. And every young person needs older people to encourage them. Remember that time when you had that older person encourage you? It came out of the blue. You fed off it forever. Lastly, you're never too young to encourage people. Got a text. Oh, I think Barnabas would have loved texts. Got a text the other day from Demetric Camille. He's a dear friend of mine. Oh, I love him so much. He's a very tall friend of mine. <laughs> it wasn't in the budget to fly him out. This is as good as we could do. <laughs> but he texted me just the other day. He texted me just the other day, and this is what he said. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. That was it. And I could feed off that for a week. You're never too young. My, my, my kids, I remember, I remember they talked about and they'd watch those movies and they'd say, there's superheroes. Which superpower do you want of all those? Which, which superpower? You want a superpower? Encourage somebody. It's amazing. My son texted me the other day. I'll feed off this for a month. He just said, Dad, thinking about you. I love you. Last I checked, the death rate in Indiana, it's 100%. You're going to die. I hope it's like this when you die. I, I hope that you've been in the bed with your spouse for 75 years. And you get a tap at your shoulder and you wake up. And when you wake up, you see Jesus, so you've never seen him before. You know it's Christ. And you look past him and you see a legion of angels. And Jesus says, come on, it's time to go. And you zoom off into heaven. And you're there at the golden gates and you go through this gates and there's, yeah, this gold, this path. And Jesus is leading you there. And somebody puts a crown on your head and you see the Father. And you take off that crown and you cast it at his feet and you say anything anything I did that glorified you may it be your glory forever and eternity let's encourage people encourage people for Christ let's give it away let's make people strong thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.